Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Thank you so much for still continuing to listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends. After my one-month little hiatus, I do feel a lot better, a lot more things in perspective, and just really trying to work on my life-work balance. Not only that, but just taking advantage more of the hours I have in the day and not just letting life pass me by. I know that sounds overly dramatic, but like I remember I decided I woke up early and so I was like, I'm going to go wash my car, wash my car and worked out. I was like, yeah, I have the hours in the day to do that. And just to, you know, take more time to take care of my space, take care of me um, and, you know, take better care of my voice, take better care of my body. So it is just kind of a reminder to put yourself first. But speaking of, we have a very interesting theme that we're covering today. This is a season three, episode 19, Lend Me an Ear. Now, I am really looking forward to exploring this from how tech reliant our world is now to how this was portrayed in 1986 and the high-tech surveillance and the feeling, the lack of privacy and the violation. This was an incredibly interesting episode to actually think about the ramifications and what this episode was trying to tell us. So let's get into it. We're doing season three, episode 18, entitled Lend Me an Ear, per IMDb. Crockett and Tubbs' investigation of a paranoid dealer is complicated by a surveillance expert who decides to play both sides against one another. I'm going to go find this clip from It's Always Sunny. I'm playing both sides so that I always come out on top. And yes, that is kind of the theme of this episode. So let's dive into it, shall we? We open up on a beautiful scene of a seaplane landing in the water. That does look very familiar, and I did look it up. It is the same footage from Trust Fund Pirates. Now, Crockett and Tubbs are doing some surveillance. They're waiting for this shipment. They're also keeping a very close eye on how many men are on board of this boat. As you can see, in the gallery, there are three men on this boat. Now, surprise, surprise, Crockett and Tubbs naturally are going to get into a high-speed boat chase as they get spooked and they speed off. Now, this scene I did not enjoy except for the music. The reason I didn't enjoy this scene is you can tell in this episode they're trying different camera techniques and it doesn't really work with me and I don't know if that's because I have to watch this many, many, many times. If I just watched it once on TV, I might not have been bothered by it. But when I manually have to screenshot and select the images, the speeding up of the boat looked really janky and you'll see there's another GIF that you can see in the gallery of the camera kind of panning out and it's like syncopated like boop, 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 boop as it zooms out of Dykstra's house or Duddy's house. It just doesn't doesn't work with me. So I did enjoy the song. So I will give you the song. This was the clip I selected from the cold open. Now, the end of this chase is 
a little more dramatic than I expected. This is actually a great gift that I did make of the escaping speedboat hitting the bank and flying up and landing in the street. Um, I also believe I clocked the spider in there as well. So I'm not sure if this is old, old, old footage that they just have had, you know, just in case another speedboat chase were to transpire. But yeah, it's a big, hard crash. Once Crockett and Tubbs get out, chase after the guy, try to look for the drugs, try to get a pulse. Nope and nope to both those things. Now, again, now they're really, really, really perplexed. It's clean. The guy just disappeared with an entire load. Yeah, real magic act. And after the intro, they're all back at Castillo's office and they're talking about the details. Zwitek has not found, did not find any secret compartment. They can't find evidence of a second person on boat. Remember how I said there were three? The initial trade-off, two went in the boat, one stayed back. One was actually giving the product, two were driving the boat. So one guy bailed, let this guy die, and there's no drugs. So did the other guy abscond with the drugs, but then there's no evidence that there was the second guy. So I understand that they're going a little nuts, and Crockett says he will testify that he did see the second guy. That's also why I want to put it in the gallery. Now, Crockett gets a call from the bank, and he's really irritated that he's trying to get a loan, and he can't because he doesn't have enough credit history. And I will talk a little bit more about this later on, but this is also very relatable. He's telling me I can't have a loan. <laughs> Maybe you'd just be digging yourself in deeper with a loan. Spend all my time chasing guys that drop that much at lunch, and I can't even pay my debts legally. Something's really out of whack here. <laughs> I put preach in my notes. So, sorry, let's get back into it. So, Crockett Tubbs were in the car as Crockett is lamenting about his loan. They're on the way to see Izzy, who is very sick, very congested, currently having a steam bowl, kind of like the diffuser humidifier on his face to help decongest, to help get better. I'm sure it smells very nice like eucalyptus. I used to have a Vicks humidifier when I still lived in Toronto when I'd get sick in the winter. It is lovely. Now, Crockett and Tubbs want info on Alexander Dykstra. Izzy doesn't really know that much about him. He says that he only knows he's trying to get to the big time and that he did get a lead that the boat death, the gentleman who died in the boat, may have been planned. Interesting. What I also like is Crockett covering his face when he's sitting next to Izzy. Because I was like, yeah, I would do the same thing. If you have to get information from someone that that's sick, then you have to do it in person. You're like, oh, icky. However, that is quite a useful piece of information that Crockett and Tubbs are going to take with them as we cut and we visit and see what Swytek is up to. Now, Swytek is learning his magic card tricks, which is funny because this also repeats in future episodes. So I like that they've kind of included this new side of Zwitek, his new hobby, which will. And I would love that because I would love to be a card shuffler. Or I would, okay, let me refresh that. I would love to be able to shuffle cards in an appealing manner. (laughs) 
it's just so elegant and glamorous and people can shuffle cards easily and I'm always like stuck there. It's like very much an art and a gift that I appreciate. And Zwitek is doing surveillance and learning magic tricks while he is doing recon and surveying this amazing house. We see Alexander Dykstra and one of his goons and a little RC boat and a beautiful model in the pool. And he wants to know what's going on. He's a little paranoid. He's worried that there might be a leak. But you do have to see this house because once he gets someone to come into the house to sweep for bugs, you get to see... This is the scene I talked about where the camera kind of pans out a little, like, juddingly on, like, every ba-ba-ba, like, very syncopated. Not really a fan of it. But the guy he's called in, his name is Duddy, to Sweet for Bugs, is dancing to the song of a fellow Miami Vice guest star in Bruce Willis. This is Respect Yourself. Now, us, along with Dykstra, are wondering, hey, why is this guy who's searching for bugs dancing around with kind of like a wire hanger and headphones when he's supposed to be looking for bugs? So it turns out, as he explains to Dykstra, that transmitters will interrupt the signal. So he's trying to see if anything will be interrupted. And that's why he's moving around in the stairs, trying to move around in the living room. And he is able to find a transmitter and kill it. And with that, Zwitek loses the signal, loses the bug on Dykstra's house. Zwitek calls a landline, doesn't say anything. And to see if it still works and realizes that he's lost the tap. Ah, now Dykstra is rightfully a lot more paranoid. This is when Duddy lays in as a salesperson and goes in for the kill and for the close. Voice scramblers, tap alerts, portable bug detectors. How much? Um, well, that depends on, um, on how much you, um, you value your privacy. Now, as Switek is lamenting the loss of his tap and now having to go back in and tap or wire or bug, whatever verbiage you want to use, Dykstra's house. Oh, a little bit frustrated. So Crockett suggests that they get a little bit of help with this. He suggests a former cop who was really good at this kind of stuff and knew his way around security and surveillance equipment. Castillo doesn't really want to go for it because he used to be on the force and, in fact, left the force when he was being investigated for a misconduct charge. Well, surprise, surprise, who do you think Croc and Tubbs are visiting now as the ballad of the little man plays in the background? Now, don't laugh at the song title because the lyrics are kind of on point. Right? We're all at the mercy of each other's little whims. Not just appropriate for this episode, but 
pretty appropriate for our daily lives. <laughs> now, if I do sound different, I do apologize. I took a little break yesterday to go to the movies and go to work, and then I thought I'd have time, and then I took like a 24-hour break. So if I do sound different, I do apologize. Also, I can definitely hear me... My air intakes are pretty harsh, and I'm saying that in a... Basically, I breathe in really loud and breathe in really strong. Obviously, I know that's to do with my poor habits, but I'm like, okay, let me work a little bit on my breath work. Let me work a little bit further away from the microphone and see how it turns out. So we are all at the mercy of each other's little whims as I wax on about my poor breath work and <laughs> plosives. Plosives when you make the popping sound with the P. But basically, yeah, it's just I notice I'm like it's very tough, strong delivery and I'm trying to work on being a little bit more mellow. So bear with me. It's only taken, what, 60 episodes of this podcast? Now as Croc and Tubbs pull into this beautiful house that again, I'm like, I don't think he was affording on a cop salary. So he was definitely doing some outside work before and definitely after since he left the forest. Remember, while he was being investigated for that misconduct charge. So as Croc and Tubbs are looking around, they're getting a little bit nervous. They can tell that it's recently been lived in. They can tell that someone lives there. But they're not getting an answer. Just seems a little weird. Uh, Got some great decor in this house. And they see a body lying down by the TV. So naturally, Crockett and Tubbs pull out their guns, slowly walk towards. When the TV says this. Don't even think of mouth to mouth, So you really got to look at this because he's laughing on the television. It's the same guy. He looks very familiar because you know why he looks so familiar? It's the same guy that's working for Dykstra. We'll get more into that later. So I don't know how he's able to do this because he's able to set this up so far in advance to record these messages So he, it's like this very intense game of chess that he's playing, just evidenced by this one scene. As you can tell, he definitely looks like a character. Can I also point out that Crockett and Tubbs are almost color coordinating? Almost. So we got like a teal blazer, and then we have Tubbs's skinny teal tie both looking like a million bucks. So they go reconnect with their old cop buddy at a place called Big Fish, where the server, looking like a million dollars with white, looks like cowboy boots. I can't really get a great zoom in, great detail in this outfit, with what appears to be, could not be denim, but I'm thinking that it's denim. I think this is a denim tube dress with buttons up the front. This is immaculate. I wish that I could look like this <laughs> Right? I did work with a bartender, and she always made a point to um, dress very colorfully at work. And I'm always like, aren't you worried about staining? Like, every piece of clothing I have gets stained. Like, I'm so nervous. I don't know how she did it, but, like, I get bitters all over myself. I guess she just is, like, incredibly, incredibly, incredibly detailed. But, like, she's worked at busy places. I don't know how she does it. Kudos to her, because I do not look that cute. (laughs) I'm meaning, you know, like bright, colorful blue sweaters, headbands, accessories, heels, boots. I'm like, oh, I I could never. I could never. (laughs) So I very much, she might be my best dress of this episode. Just the fact that she's carrying a giant 
platter of one fish looks pretty big. So while she's looking like a million bucks, I love it. So they talk a little bit at lunch. Tubbs is having a wonderful fruit platter and Duddy, so the same guy that's working for Dykstra, he's talking about the trade-off with comes with his business is that because he's so skilled at knowing how to get under people's skin and knowing how to access their information, wouldn't someone do the same to him? It's a very good point and definitely a very on-topic point as we're looking at this 40 years later. You know, I know a million ways to watch somebody, to listen to them, to peel open their secret lives, but uh, then after a while, anything out of the ordinary started looking suspicious, and now I'm always wondering when I'm going to be the target and how they'll get me. Now he gets a page. I'm assuming this is a beeper, but it looks like a vape. And I know that sounds very funny, but it's long, skinny and gray. Like I just assumed that was an electronic cigarette or a vape. Uh, But or maybe it was a very advanced pager for the time. But I was used to like the big blocky ones. So who knows? But again, this is a very, very in demand individual. So now he is at OCB. He's letting them know his wares his skills, and how he could be of service to this investigation. Let's hear him try to hit on Gina. My pen. You know, Gina, I lost your number. (laughs) A little smooth, actually. Uh, Steve, these are all very nice toys, I'm sure, but uh, we want to get next to a guy who knows that he's a surveillance subject. Oh, yeah, well, there are ways around that. What do you need? Phone, constant access. Uh, We need a transmitter in the house. Sorry, I don't know why I cut that last part off, but basically Switek is saying that they need a transmitter in the house and appears, and he basically lets them know that his previous taps have failed to work. Basically, that they have been sabotaged. So this is also quite brave of Duddy to knowingly play both sides. But this is possibly my favorite scene of the entire episode. We have The Climb by Peter Himmelman playing in the background. And it is a great song to go with this imagery. So look at the gallery. But if you're not looking at the gallery, if you're driving the house, this beautiful Miami mansion is illuminated in this neon green light as Crockett, Tubbs, and Zwitek are sneaking in. They're spraying aerosol to see the lasers in order to maneuver around it. Remember that? Remember when you could trip on someone's laser? Like, especially the, the rich kids in the neighborhood, they'd have lasers in their houses. It's very fun to play with. And same thing, you would like spray duster or something to see the lines and try to move around it. But this is such a a well-choreographed scene. I really enjoyed it. And it does kind of put you on high tension, even though there's no dialogue. Now, my second favorite part of the scene, aside from the song and the way that they're entering the house and they're all in black, you never really get to see all three of them do super cool stuff like this. Now, this must have been terrifying because upstairs we have two goons. Hired goons. Chilling upstairs and 
the haircut on one of them. <laughs> oh, you got to go see it for yourself. It's like a blown back. So I, you know how we're not really big fans of Crockett's hair this season, like kind of spiky and blown up. This is blown and curled back. And I really like how Tubbs is using a mirror to look around corners. Like it's just such a well choreographed scene. And then this is also my second favorite part of the scene. So they're upstairs with this beautiful shell lamp illuminating the scene in the background. And one of the goons playing with a gun. He basically says the other guy's like, oh, you don't like guns? And the other guy, the guy with the crazy hair, flips open this switchblade and then flips it back and closes it again. And it's just, I made a gif of it because it's just so insane to see that as like one motion. Um, it might not be a switchblade, but it kind of, it, yeah, it, it's, you got to see the gif because it's just, that is an act of skill. And then inside the house, it's actually illuminated pink. So when you see Zwitek and Crockett try to plant the bug with this giant coat hanger that they almost knock over and they do create a little bit of sound. We do see the goons come down, but it's just such a high intensity scene that is shot so well because like, I was nervous, but even though it has this beautiful calming music in the background. So I really like that dichotomy of high intensity and low intensity. Now I'll be taking a quick break. I'll be right back. Oh my God. So I'm back and I was trying to see if I could put, you know, just like a little like sound bite or some kind of instrumental music to kind of make that transition less janky. And then this is what I kept playing over and over. <laughs> God's sake, why don't you open up your mind and your eyes? <laughs> oh my God, I'm going through my soundboard. <laughs> Call my network today. Ask about love, money, your destiny. Get a free reading, free horoscopes every day. And remember, this is just the beginning. Oh, Philip Michael Thomas, you bring so much joy to my life for so many different <laughs> Oh my god. I need to also add on to that soundboard, so I need to go through some of my favorite quotes of favorite episodes and jazz that up, because, oh... I'm sorry, you know when you have stuff to do and you'll do everything else but the one thing you need to do? This is me today, so I'm so sorry. Will I even release this episode? What were we even talking about? <laughs> oh my god, this is actually such a good episode. Okay. <gasps> alright, alright. Snap out of it. Ah, so they are still planting the bugs. They... Crockett and Zwitek. Mostly Zwitek. And again, I don't know if this is like a jab at his weight, but he was kind of knocked the coat hanger a little bit out of place, got the goons' attention, and they can hear the goons stirring upstairs. So they were able to sneak a bug into one of the outlet boxes. That's not proper words or English. I do apologize. And in the ashtray. Now, they are able to make their way out of there undetected, and luckily... They don't really see anything too amiss. It could, I guess they're just tracking it up to could have been animal, gust of wind, what have you. So luckily, the vice squad is able to get away unscathed. They escape to the boat, and they're, with again, with this green backdrop. And then they're illuminated in blue as they're calling Gina and Trudy to get a little bit more information on Dykstra. Dykstra. 
I got a lot of arrests and no convictions, all currency violations. Let's see, Thailand, Lebanon, Peru, Colombia. Before that, he was a Eurodollar trader in Greece, and he got indicted on a Ponzi scheme, so he had to leave in a hurry. Thanks, Judy. Some interesting stamps on Dykstra's passport. Yeah, but it ain't Coke. If Dykstra's importing as heavily as we think, it wouldn't do him any good to whack his distributors. He wouldn't have anybody to move the product. Dykstra's making money. But eight to five, it ain't selling dope. Hmm, okay, so let's keep this in mind. So the next morning, Dykstra wakes up, and we cut to a scene of him and one of his goons. The less stylish one, the one that was playing with the gun, not the one with the wicked knife skills. Dykstra is looking at the coat hanger. He could feel that something's amiss. He's very perceptive. I'm also going to say he's very paranoid, but sometimes, what's that saying? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they are. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so bad at idioms and these kind of sayings. I know I'm screwing it up. Let me confer. Sorry, I had to turn off the mic and look this up. <laughs> Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they aren't after you. Okay, so I was close the first time. I need to have a little bit more confidence, too, and not just assume that I'm saying something incorrectly. And <laughs> So, yes, just because he's not wrong to be paranoid, and he's also correctly perceptive that something is amiss, that someone has definitely moved this, and that he is worried that someone might have been in the house. Now, if I were this wealthy, and I was afraid that people were coming into my house, how come he doesn't have outside station security guards? How come he doesn't have like a more intricate camera system? Like Crockett, Tubbs, and Zwitek walked in. Yes, they were dressed in all black, but at the end of the day, if there had been more security outside or cameras, that wouldn't have happened. So you're spending all this money to get sweat for bugs, but you won't install a security sack. I don't know. Again, this is why we have the episode. You gotta suspend that kind of line of thinking. Now let's get back to the episode. I will never finish this episode. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Everything will be finished before this episode. This episode, as it stands, will be released on Halloween. Oh, man. Now, our guy Duddy is back to help with Dykstra. Lo and behold, he gets a signal from his bug. Surprise, surprise. Almost like he is an insider on this. But what is a little bit more interesting is that when he takes out the bug that he, remember, he charged Vice and Armored Leg for, he puts his own bug back in that outlet box. But he's able to get the one from the ashtray and show that, show Dykstra. And this is also when he introduces Dykstra to a new form of technology that, surprise, surprise, is literally going to blow up in someone's face. Measures subconscious micro tremors, most often associated with lying in a person's voice. <laughs> Are they accurate? Fairly so. Ah, oh, 
he asks if he can take it for a test drive. Surprise, surprise. He decides to use it on that beautiful model, that beautiful woman that we saw earlier standing in the pool as the RC boat sailed between her legs. And he is paranoid and decides to use this quote-unquote lie detector machine to see if she's been fooling around on him. Basically, you have a slab with your gabble. What are you, crazy? All I need to do is ask her the question. No. Trace. Wrong answer. And not only that, he did this in front of Duddy, not even batting an eye, not even worried, and then leaves this parting message to Duddy. I can't tolerate dishonesty. That's going to be difficult to process for someone who is betraying not only his former co-workers, but also his client, both his clients. So, yeah, he's... Definitely feeling like he's in hot water. So he tries to do the right thing. He calls 911. However, he can't let them know who he is. So let's hear how this call sounds. A murder, ma'am? Yes, a murder. Your name? My name's not important. The killer's name, however, is Alexander Dykstra. Ma'am, I'll need your name in order to file a report. John Taxpayer, how's that? Ma'am, why don't you come down to the station and file a complaint? Listen, mallet head! I'm trying to help here! So now Vice is kind of at a standstill with this investigation. So they have this anonymous tip. However, they don't have anything substantial they can actually pin on Dykstra. And they also complain that all their bugs seem to last less than 24 hours. Hmm. I wonder what... That could be. Now, we see Dykstra blindfolded and escorted by his goons on a dock. Uh, actually, I kind of like this scene because you get the backlit of neon green again. And now he goes to go meet a dealer. Surprise, surprise, it's cash. I really like the way they set it up because they have, like, the product tight in these black garbage bags and then he cuts it open turns out just a stack of hundred dollar bills which i think is very interesting so he has a new deal to be made now crockett is listening to the police calls that so metro wanted to bring them in to let them listen to this call there's a great gif i made of crockett listening to it and then the next picture is just him covering his eyes he's so stressed out so annoyed at the situation because yeah, like he's already said, is that they don't have anything substantial and they don't have enough evidence to make this really big case against him. And we do get a little bit of information because he called to make a report. It was not a 911 call. If it was a 911 call, they said it wouldn't have been recorded. And now they want to see what Duddy has to say on this recording. This is where we start to see Duddy get a little hot under the collar as his two words his two worlds are colliding all i can tell you is uh, that this voice has been electronically altered there's no way you're going to get a voice print out of it so it could have been anybody yeah you me the pope Tallulah bankhead anybody that's great moving on this guy and leaps and uh, well why don't you just pick him up you got your tip oh, and hold him 
on what? Okay, what evidence? Okay, okay, bad idea. I was just trying to help. Yeah, well, use your head. And working this guy for weeks would come up dry. We need something substantial. Ooh, all right. So how is Steady going to play this? Again, he just saw someone got killed for not even having any evidence of them betraying Dykstra. Now he is in super hot water and both sides are closing in. You can just see, I took this really great picture while he's listening to the phone call of just like how stressed out he is, like just pulling down his face. (sighs) And then let's get back and see what Dykstra's up to. Oh, surprise, surprise. Dykstra kills the guy that he agreed to make the deal with. Again, be really beautiful shot of just him slowly walking up with the beautiful green lit background and he shoots him and the bottle of champagne that he's holding dead cold. Dykstra is not here to play around. Now, Duddy is doing surveillance, so he's watching cameras that I guess he's had installed in Dykstra's house that Dykstra doesn't have himself. I kind of want to know a little bit more about this and how this was able to happen, but Dykstra doesn't have his own surveillance. Whatever, let's suspend this disbelief. I do like Duddy drip it drip drinking from the curly straw that he has he has like one of those fun plastic curly straws from back in the day so as he's listening in he hears a phone call that dykstra is having it's not actually that incriminating of a call it's talking about the birth of his son blah 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 that he's getting worried that people are you know taking tabs on him but he doesn't actually say anything incriminating on this call even though he's already killed this guy. (laughs) So, Duddy gets an idea, and this is when he literally starts to cut tape, as you can see in the preceding scenes and in the gifts that I put on the gallery. Gift delivered to your house. It should be there by tomorrow evening. Absolutely not. It is a custom in my family. Don't be ridiculous. The ship is pulling out tonight. The delay is of a precautionary nature. So let's see how Duddy takes that and then works it into this. It should be there by tomorrow evening. The delay is of a precautionary nature. I'm dealing with a possibly security leak on my end. Listen, McGregor. You think it's easy moving a ton and a half of cash out of the country? Then you deal with customs. Uh, That's what you pay me for. Ah, very interesting, right? Easy to see. Well, not easy to see. That obviously takes a lot of skill of cutting and reorganizing the tape back in the day. So, how is Duddy going to use this? He is going to stand outside Dykstra's house play this tape while putting while affixing a little device kind of like i guess an amplifier onto the window or to the door so swytech when he's tapping in can overhear this edited call interesting now keep that in mind because now we have another crime scene to go to the guy that just got shot vice is at the scene and the coroner and crockett are talking 
And the coroner estimates that he's been dead for about less than 12 hours based on as gross that is swelling and how his body is acclimatizing to the water post-mortem and all that's pretty icky. Now, let's get a little bit of comic relief because this is what I really liked about this episode. Crockett is still bitching that he can't get his loan and a lot of it has to do that he likes to use cash. The more you use cash, the less you are on paper. And... Tubbs puts this perfectly when Crockett keeps lamenting about his inability to get a loan. Cash transactions, no credit history. Since when is cash a crime? <laughs> this is America. You gotta be in debt. You know, that's the only way that the banks can get their money back. Now I'm going to interject because I had to deal with this firsthand. Despite being an American citizen, I moved to... America when I was in my mid-20s. I had zero credit history. I had obviously a social security number, but I didn't exist on paper. So I was able to open up a bank account and I was not able to get a credit card. I applied to every credit card I could. Kept getting rejected, kept getting rejected. So I'd been living in Los Angeles for, I want to say like six, four, six months. And I was like, okay, I need to buy a TV because I was just watching things on my laptop. So I go buy a TV from Best Buy and I pay cash. And when the guy's ringing me up, I tell him that I have cash. And um, I'm kind of just like, oh, yeah, you know, I just moved to this country. I don't have a credit card. And he was the one who gave me the best advice. He's like, I just had my identity stolen. The best way to rebuild your credit or to build credit is gas station credit cards and prepaid credit cards. Because I had zero credit score, I could not get a gas credit card to save my life. But I was able to get a Capital One credit card where I had to put a $50 deposit and I had a $250 limit. And then after about six months of that, I was able to upgrade. Um, But I was just so used to parceling out everything by cash because I had to. I wasn't able to rent an apartment in my name because I had no credit score. They couldn't do a background check. I guess they would, just like born, that's it. Uh, No employment history in the States. And yeah, so I also remember just how good I was with money when I first moved to America. And I was lucky that all my credit card shenanigans, all my debt, all my stupidness, I paid off back in Canada. And fortunately, I did have to use money that could have been more fun money later on, but I had to use it then. And I really had to learn to eat what I kill. And I'm trying to go back to that now of like not using any type of credit that I don't need to. It's a lot easier said than done. (laughs) And after that, I only got an Amex card because an Amex card, you can't go into debt. You have to pay it off every month. And if you have to take out of your savings, you should learn your lesson. So I remember I would get all these stores be like, oh, do you want to apply for the credit card? I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, nope, I was in debt. Not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. So luckily with that, the one funny thing, this is hilarious because I didn't get this fixed until like three years ago. I was with Sprint. I originally started on T-Mobile. I went to Sprint. I wanted to get either a new phone or a new phone plan. I don't know. I had something to do with like long distance calls weren't as covered as I wanted them to be. And obviously I was calling Canada a lot. So I remember I go to Sprint and I have maybe been in America two years at this point. It was Oktoberfest. I specifically remember I want to say 2015 or 2016. I go in and I cannot get a new phone 
because my credit score isn't good enough. And I was like, what do you mean? Like I had like a 350 or something. I was like, whoa, what do you mean? I was like, they're basically saying I didn't have enough credit. So they were able to scam me onto some kind of friends and family plan. I had to buy a BS tablet that I'd get charged for, even though it was like a free tablet. Like I still had to pay like an extra activation fee. So I was able to finally just pay it off and get rid of it. Don't, nothing is for free, guys. Don't ever accept these terms. But again, I had to. I didn't have good enough credit. So this is the even better part. Oh my God. Okay. So I was on a friends and family plan. So I kept getting these texts like, oh, so-and-so has left your family plan. So-and-so has been added to your family plan. My phone was not in my name because I had no credit. My phone was under Maria Lopez. And I had this until I want to say like 2021 is when I stopped being with Sprint because the Toronto's uh, the Toronto area code is 416. Switzerland country code is 41. They somehow charged me for a call to Switzerland when I called Toronto. And I tried explaining. I was like, no, country code 1, 416, three digits, four digits. They were not having it. They could not comprehend it. And it was during COVID. So I had the leverage. I was like, get out of here. I'm not dealing with you guys. Switching over. So up until that point, and they kept, while I was canceling my phone, they're like, Miss Lopez, Miss Lopez. I was like, oh my God. I was like, I never got that change. <laughs> so yeah, so I was incidentally scamming someone because I didn't have enough of a credit score to get my own cell phone. <laughs> so Maria Lopez in, uh, I want to say, where was she? Like Henderson, Nevada. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for letting me kind of steal your identity for <laughs> six years. <laughs> Seven years, six years. I think it was, oh my God. So, yeah, so that's why this is a very funny episode. I was like, oh, I've incidentally done a lot of shady things. And yes, it was very hard for me, no matter that I was great with my money. And I remember I'd have envelopes and notes and check pads about what money come in, came in, what money came out. But it doesn't matter if you are not in debt, you do not matter to the American credit system. And it's very frustrating. I will brag now. I think my score, it was an 805. Now it has gone down to a 795. And because I am getting rid of one of my MX credit cards, like I just, sorry, charge cards. And I'm actually getting a credit card that I will be canceling soon. I'm just taking advantage of a promotional offer. So I'm trying to be very smart with that and not do anything bad. But after that, so I had to open up another account. So my credit score, I got dinged for, um, they were looking into my credit score. And yeah, so now I am like very braggadocious about my credit score. And when I would apply for apartments, I'd be like, hi, I'm so-and-so and and I work at so-and-so. And and my estimated take-home income is so-and-so. And and my credit score is do-do-do. Like my credit score is like 795. And, but it's like, hey, like, get their attention. Like, hello, landlord. I have a credit score of 795. When can I move in? (laughs) All right. So let's all sympathize for Crockett because it is not easy out there. And actually, I've never taken out a loan. I've only ever taken out a car loan. So luckily, I was able to get a very good interest rate on that because I was pre-COVID. So I was like, I'm at 3.09 or 3.19%. So even now, they're trying to give me an 8%. I was like, absolutely not. Like, how dare you speak to me in that tone of voice with my credit score? (laughs) Yeah, don't buy a car now if you don't have to. Oh, this economy. Yeah, I told you this episode will never get finished. I do apologize. Just You know, when you just press the 15 second skip mark, I'm sure I'm driving you all nuts. I'm so sorry. But it's this realization with cash and credit that Crockett realizes what Dykstra is doing. 
he's moving cash out of the country. So this light bulb clicks in his head. Now, Crockett and Tubbs are also going over the time of the call and the time of the shooting. Remember what we heard the coroner say that it was less than 12 hours ago. So they know something is a little bit fishy and they know Duddy is behind it. Now, let's hear Duddy's reasoning for why he did what he did. It's the American way. You got something against fair enterprise, Crockett? I do what it costs me. You jerking me around with an ongoing so you can run a game? Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. You played us, Duddy. I bring you in and you take advantage. I'm an independent, Sonny. A defensive sweeper. There's nothing wrong with that. You contracted me for offensive work. I had no idea one of my clients Come was on. your subject. When I found out, I tried to Come make on, things Steve. right. Come on, Steve. All you had to do was open your mouth. Okay, poor judgment. Big deal. You know, I'm chromosomally unbalanced. I got the good hair. My brother got the good judgment. Well, he's not wrong. He can do whatever he wants, but it isn't ideal when your financial income and security is tied to something that doesn't align with your moral compass. Then he warns Crockett and Tubbs what they're about to get into. Psychopath, he's got a voice stress analyzer. You lie, you die. So, who is Study telling this to? Because Crockett and Tubbs aren't the ones that have been betraying a very jealous violent, vindictive man. Duddy has been the one doing that. So as Crockett and Tubbs roll off to Dykstra's house, they see a service van, white service panel van. They go up to talk to him, roughly, rough him up, guns drawn, to see what he's doing there. Turns out, it's his first visit. He was hired by Dykstra to sweep for bugs. So Dykstra knows that something iffy is going on with Duddy. Crock and Tubbs know exactly what's going to transpire, and they speed off to get back to Duddy's place. Duddy is waiting and watching the cameras and see Dykstra and the goons at his place. This is some great music in the background. Love that. Like my like Jan Hammer walked so that like all these other composers could run. I love that. It just sets such a great mood. And then you have so many colors in this scene as Dykstra and his goons were illuminated in green outside. Then you have Duddy inside watching a tiny, I guess, CCTV loop. And it's like on one of those portable TVs. Then Dykstra goes to another room. This is just normal lighting. And we get a really great shot of him looking in, holding the gun, ready to go. Then I got another great shot of Duddy, the back of Duddy's head. So you see the outside of the house, bright green, just like Dykstra's. Inside, hot pink. So it's like a Maybelline great lash lighting situation. And as he's standing there with his gun, we see them all traverse around the house with this cat and mouse game. Now, this would scare the crap out of me if I were Dykstra. 
Even paranoids have real enemies. Okay, so totally freaky because also put yourself in Dykstra's shoes. He sees the image of Duddy with the gun in the TV and hears Duddy's voice. Especially that, like, oh, even paranoids have real enemies. He freaks out, shoots the TV, but it's in that instant that he is distracted. He is shot. Now, after this all goes down, Dykstra's dead. Crockett is super pissed at Duddy and starts listing off all the possible charges. However, like I said, that game of chess, Dykstra's dead, but Duddy is always one step ahead. Felony endangerment. Uh, I know where the line is, and I didn't cross it. Uh, you just walked up to the edge and looked uh, over there. It keeps you? me alive. Not good enough, Steve. Not good enough. Come on. Now, unfortunately, Crockett gets realistic news when he goes to OCB and talk with Castillo. Castillo basically says the same thing, that he didn't cross the line. Crockett's really pissed that he just gets off scot-free, that he's able to basically work for a criminal mastermind, undermine the police investigation, put them into danger, and just gets to walk off scot-free and make more money because of it. So... Zwitek has an idea. Zwitek proposes Crockett, or Vice, giving Duddy a taste of his own medicine. Sounds good, right? Let's see how that sounds. But I just want you to know, you won't be alone. I'll be watching you. And is with that, we end the episode and get the freeze frame of Duddy turning around, looking worried, as Crockett's face is illuminated on his security cameras. Great episode. Have to say, I really enjoyed that episode. I know this episode was very jumbled, and I'm going to go and edit it and see how this will turn out. It's either going to be 10 minutes long or 80 minutes long. But thank you for bearing with me. So this whole week, I have been drinking coffee, and I normally don't. And I've been getting decaf coffee. However, I don't always think I'm getting decaf coffee. And it's still, like, not working well with my system. Like, I don't feel any better drinking it. I don't feel more refreshed, I think, because I've been really trying to get a lot done this week that I've been trying to wake up early. Coffee is just not the answer for me. And, like, I don't really enjoy it that much. This is the whitest girl problem you'll ever hear. So I live a lot closer to Starbucks than a Dunkin' Donuts. But Starbucks, their tea offerings are kind of lame. It's like a London fog, which you can make at home if you have, you know, simple syrup or like a sweet syrup and milk and Earl Grey. Like nothing is really out of the world there that is not coffee based. So if I want a sweet treat and I'm lazy, I'll just go. And this week I've just been going to Starbucks because um, I just haven't been grocery shopping and I've been working a lot, so I just haven't been home a lot. And yeah, so it's just like the whitest girl problem ever. It's just that I've just been getting coffee at Starbucks because the tea versions are garbage. So <laughs> I'm a Dunkin' Donuts girl. Uh, obviously, I would be a Tim Hortons girl if they had one in Los Angeles. And I don't think it, uh, actually the idea would work in Los Angeles that well. There's too, too many donut places. And there are such cute mom and pop donut places that you'd rather support. Now, let's break down this episode because... I really, really, really enjoyed it. And let's talk fashion. fashion. First, the true winners in this episode, 
the server at Big Fish with that possibly denim tube dress and the white boots carrying that large platter of fish. Also, Gina and Trudy look like a million dollars when Crockett radios them from the boat after planting the bugs at Dykstra's to ask about information on him. They're both looking like a million dollars. Gina in a purple shirt and Trudy with the blue tank top. Now for the men... I honestly want to put a Crockett and Tubbs both in different shades of teal, color coordinating, as my best dress. But maybe this will be my wild card. So I'd say best dress, I'd say Crockett and Tubbs in teal in different ways, rocking the color, but still staying true to their fashion sense. Because we don't really see Tubbs veer into brightly colored blazers or anything. Like he still has that very classic New York sense of style but I really love that teal tie on him and then there's another picture I took of Tubbs looking like a million dollars where he has a beautiful dark blue pocket square with a navy suit and then his tie it's a mix of deep purple and dark purple so he's not exactly matching his tie to his pocket square which I hear is kind of a faux pas but it just really illuminates it works with his eyes works with his skin works with everything I really want to say that Tubbs is my best dress this episode, but also I'll put Tubbs as my best dressed. Then I'll put Crockett and Tubbs together as my second best dress. Wild card has to go to my favorite knife-wielding goon just for that hair alone. <laughs> Please check out the gallery if you have not. It might even end up being the cover art, the cover episode art for this week, if it is not. <laughs> now, music. As much as I love Bruce Willis as a person, and he, it's incredibly sad what he's going through now, Respect Yourself was definitely one of the songs I remember being exposed to via Fromage. Fromage was this year-end countdown on Much Music. I think I've talked about this before. That was hosted by Ed the Sock. Yes, a sock puppet. That would make fun of the worst videos. And the, for 1999, going into 2000, it was the worst music videos of all time. Phil and Michael Thomas actually took the top spot with just the way I planned it. And I'm 100% sure I saw Bruce Willis on that list, too. Because, again, like, so handsome. His voice isn't bad, but the video was super cheesy of him doing the splits on the pool table. And he was a bartender. Like, he was well-regarded as a bartender in New York and owned a bar. So it's just very funny that, like, that's the image that he chose to film the video in. So in that respect, I got to give it to The Climb or Climb by Peter Himmelman, because it's just so spooky and such like a dark synth wave that I really am drawn to. And it just really tied everything together with this episode, bringing in that kind of on your edge, what's going to happen with suspense. Really well done episode. But yes, that would be my song of the episode. Now, quote of the episode. <laughs> this is where I definitely have to think about it because I spent so much time messing around with the soundboard for other episodes. But I think I have it. This is what I present to you as my quote of the episode. And now, I'm always wondering when I'm going to be the target and how they'll get me. Now, the reason I went with this more serious quote is because this is really how I felt, especially in like 2006, 2007, when Facebook was first opened up to um, high school students. I was able to get in high school. I was invited. And just the obsession that I had, and it was so dark 
and all of my worst fears came alive with social media. People judging you for your looks, people judging you on what you do. But I was always on it. I was creeping people. I would creep friends of friends of friends. I knew certain accounts that were open where I could see pictures that were posted to my ex-boyfriend seven years ago. I was so aware of how I could access people's lives that I started to get so paranoid how people could access my life. And I remember I delete Facebook, delete Facebook, delete Facebook, like my entire account. So I didn't exist. You couldn't go back and check for like a cringy post I made in 2006. And I think because like I was also heavily drinking and in college, you're extra emotional and you're creeping on all these people. Like I wasn't living my real life. I was so wrapped up in it. And I don't have that as much with social media but you'll notice like I will kind of like go silent and it's just because I still cannot find a happy medium and I'm still hurt by things I see on social media that should not hurt me jealousy and insecurity like it is much better just to live a blissful life of ignorance and now that this is just so all-consuming and that's so much of what you do and how you communicate with people is through social media and it's your brand. Like I clock in, I am not a entrepreneur and I still have to have a brand and you have to cultivate that brand and everybody has to have a brand and it's really annoying. And then everybody has to use that brand to sell you things. And how many of your interactions are genuine? How many people actually want to be your friend or they want to sell you on something or want to use you for something? It's, really annoying so yeah this episode was kind of a good eye-opener I decided this week to just be more present and more present in my life and less online but then so I stopped going on social media as much and playing Super Smash Brothers a little bit less it's like I'm gonna finish my book read two chapters so I was like okay that's a good dent in it and then I usually just go and end up searching clothes online while I watch TV so I'm not really making the best use of my time yet but I really need to learn to start living in the now and stop living for other people and just live the best life I can and Social media is kind of superfluous, but unfortunately, it's a devil that a lot of us have to deal with. So with that, I'm sorry that I'm not leaving it on more of a ha 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 funny note. But yeah, this episode really hit hard for me and I really enjoyed it and I thought it was really well done and I would give it a A plus for sure. Maybe not, maybe an A, maybe an A. Some things could have been a little bit, a little bit better, but I definitely give this an A. And with that, thank you so much for bearing with this. Oh my God. I don't, let's see how much I edit this episode. I'm at 58 minutes so far. I do apologize. I apologize for drinking a lot of coffee this week and just for being all over the place this week. But thank you so much for supporting. It really does mean a lot to me. I do this for you. It's just me, just one woman and a microphone and a computer. So thank you for tuning in each and every week. Thank you for going through the backlog while I was on vacation. Thank you for enjoying the same show. That brings me so much happiness and getting to share this with you being a little snarky, making fun of it, loving it, gushing. This is all what we're here for. And I am reading your comments. Someone actually responded to the Spotify Q&A about possibly doing the Miami Vice movie. And as much as I hate that movie, I actually would be so down to break it down and kind of just judge it like an episode. Because basically it's kind of like a Smuggler's Blues two-parter with a, a great mashup of Linkin Parks. Or I guess it's a remix of Numb by Linkin Park. 
encore. Numb encore, is that what it's called? That's the highlight of the movie. But actually, I look forward to that. I'll see if I can find like a $5 copy somewhere and I can get all the pictures and get all the audio. I think that'd be super fun. So thank you so much. So see, I really love wanting to connect more and to enjoy this community more. So thank you all for your support. Listen to Vice and Easy wherever you get your podcast. Like, subscribe, follow me on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week. And as always. Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.